0: We're in a series of messages on the purpose of the Master's College. And I think the four that we're in right now, the four parts of that series, Monday's worshiping God, excuse me, Monday's glorifying God, today's worshiping God, Friday's submitting to the authority of Scripture, and Monday's nurturing personal holiness. If those four messages do not radically confront and change your life, Then I would ask you to consider whether or not you're truly saved. These are big time topics. If you do not find them in your life, at least to some degree, if when the word of God is preached, you don't say, I've got to change, then stop and ask yourself another question. Am I really tuned into this at all? Today's topic is on worship. If you're taking notes, there are two Greek words in the New Testament that communicate worship for us. They are, first of all, to kiss toward, literally, or to kiss the hand, to bow down. The second word is to render honor or pay homage. So the two words in the New Testament that describe worship for us are to bow down, to bend the knee, and to kiss the hand, almost as if it were a king, and he would have on his finger the king's ring. And you would worship him by coming into his presence, bowing down on your knees, and he would extend his hand, and you would kiss the hand. A great statement of your humility before this mighty one. The second word talks about our rendering honor or paying homage to this great and mighty one. And as we begin this morning, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is your life characterized by bowing down in your heart and kissing the hand of God? Is your life characterized by paying homage, ascribing to God the glory due His name? Is your time in chapel marked by that attitude? Is your time at church marked by that attitude? Please rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, if you would. Just personally and privately. Just where am I on that scale? 10 being very, very good, very consistent, very strong. Yeah, I feel that in my heart. And then on down the scale. Where do you come out? Don't just come today and listen and go away. Involve yourself. While you're rating yourself, turn to John chapter 4, if you would. The Gospel of John chapter 4. And Jesus in chapter 4 runs into the Samaritan woman. It's a familiar story to all of us. He asked her for a drink and she's astonished that he would, a Jew, speak to her, a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were always looked down upon by the Jews being half-breeds. And they began to talk and it became very evident to her that he knew more about her than she knew about her. He knew that she had had five husbands and the one that she was with was not her own. And she began to ask him religious questions. She perceived him to be a prophet. In verse 19, the woman brings up the topic of worship. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. That's um, a very famous mountain to those people. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she says, where am I supposed to worship? In the mountain with the Samaritans where my people say I'm supposed to worship? Or am I supposed to go worship in Jerusalem where the Jews say I'm supposed to worship? Jesus said to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Your worship, or you worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. And here's the most significant thing I've seen yet about worship. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you know that you could read the Bible from cover to cover? And the only activity that the redeemed person does, which evokes from God a desire to seek that person, is the activity of worship. He does not seek those who serve him. He does not seek those who preach. He does not seek those who evangelize. He does not seek any of those things from people. The one activity the Bible says that the believer does, which causes the Father to seek. It's those people who worship him in spirit and in truth. Question. Do you know what it means to worship God in spirit and truth? I mean, are we even aware of what that means? If that's the one activity that causes God to seek those people, we ought to know what it is. Second question Do you think that God is actively seeking you Because of the quality and the character And the consistency of your worship As you evaluate your own life As you look in your heart Do you believe it's true to say of you That God actively seeks you Because of the quality and the character Of your worship Or are you like Nadab and Abihu In Leviticus 10 Young men who've been training for the the priesthood all of their lives, sons of the high priest Aaron, years of waiting, years of training in their first real function as a priest. They take strange fire to the Holy of Holy and God smokes them dead on the spot. In 1 Samuel 13 verses 18 and 14 in particular, King Saul is waiting to engage himself in battle against the Philistines. Samuel the priest or the prophet at that time who was kind of the spiritual shepherd of the thing who had responsibility for making Sacrifice was away for seven days said I'll come back in seven days. We'll make the sacrifice and you can go to battle King Saul After seven days he didn't show up again His people began to scatter because it was a mighty Philistine force the people were frightened and so Saul decided to Sacrifice apart from Samuel an illegitimate means of worship And Samuel came and said, I have just, God has just taken from you the throne of Israel. And none of your descendants shall sit on it. Are you like Uzzah of 2 Samuel 6, whose job and his part in this whole group of men was to carry the Ark of the Covenant in the right way on poles so that it would not be touched? Prescribed manner to come to God and carry his Ark. And Uzzah gets a new idea and sets the Ark of God on a cart. And it begins to be transported and the cart begins to be upset and you know what happened. He reached out in good faith and with good intention to touch and hold the ark in its place. And God killed him on the spot. His worship was not acceptable. Or are you like the people of Exodus 32? When Moses had ascended up to Mount Sinai to get the law, the Ten Commandments from God. Took him a little longer than they figured. He was up there 40 days and in his absence they thought, oh gee... This Moses, where in the world is he? They said to Aaron, his replacement, we'll give you all of our earrings and stuff and you make for us a golden calf. And if you read the account carefully, it was not that they were turning away from Yahweh. They just wanted some visible representation of Yahweh because their other visible representation, namely Moses, he'd been gone for a long time. So they figured this time they'd get a calf and use that and say, this is the God who has brought us out of Egypt. And so they get that whole thing together and Aaron proclaims that the next day they're going to worship the God of Israel by bowing down to this calf. And it says they sat down, they ate and they drank and then they rose up to play. The Hebrew word there, they rose up and played sexually. They had a massive orgy after God had just released them from bondage in Egypt and they were around Mount Sinai. And God said to Moses, get out of my way, Moses. Let my anger burn against these people that I might destroy them and make of you, Moses, a great nation. You see, they wanted to worship the right God. But they wanted to worship him in a self-styled manner. A manner which is pleasing to me. No, they were not ready to bow the knee to Baal and other gods. They wanted Yahweh, but they wanted to worship Him according to their own self-styled manner. The question this morning is, what is the proper manner of worship for the New Testament believer? If the Master's College is going to advance the Kingdom of God, and if worshiping God is one of the key essential elements, we ought to know... What it means to worship God. We ought to know in light of his severity. In Isaiah 1, he says to people years later who did not understand the proper heart attitude and mode of worship. He says to them, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and of the feed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure this iniquity in the solemn assembly. They were doing all the right activity. In the right place, to the right God. He says, Stop it. I'm sick of it. He says, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I am not going to listen. Now, we don't bring rams and we don't bring goats and we don't bring doves. And we come into the chapel of the master's college to worship God. Question, is God saying that about us? Or can you have some confidence that what you are offering at this time by way of worship is acceptable to him? Do you come here to be entertained? Here are some typical ways that we, I think, in the New Testament church prostitute true worship. We come to the church, or we come to the chapel, or we come to the assembling of the people of God, and we want to be entertained. We need an interesting speaker. We need excellent music. We need variety. We must be entertained. That, if I am entertained, I have then had a good time in the worship center. Is that your motive? Do you require that? Do you require an emotional response? Does the speaker's message have to be so filled with illustrations and tear-jerking stories and wow type stuff that you walk out just go, man. And here are the famous words, that guy was awesome. Or that message was incredible. What about that guy or what about that message was incredible? Was it that it was enormously entertaining? Was it that it was enormously emotional and stimulating to your emotional parts of your body? Or was it awesome and incredible because it gave you an excellent opportunity to ascribe worth and value to God? Understand the difference? See how easily we fall into that? Do we substitute activity for worship? I'm here. Come on, give me a break. I got my Bible. It's open. I'm taking notes. I sang what we were supposed to sing. I'm worshiping God, I'm doing my activity. No, you're not, not necessarily. Worship is not activity. Worship is not bringing bulls and goats. Worship is being actively involved in your heart and your spirit with the person of God based upon truth. We turn our churches into several things, a social club. Yes, that's right. We go there because we have lots of friends. Right? At times we make our churches a fashion show. And it's that best opportunity for me to put on my newest suit, my best tie, my shoes shined as nicely as I can, and I parade myself all over everywhere. Where is worship? We turn it into the dating game. We go to college life and other activities for the purpose. Of meeting someone who might take me out on a date. Or we go to church and play, let's make a deal with God. God, I'm here. I was on time. I've been faithful in this. Now bless me. Let's make a deal, God. Or it's stage for the super Christian. So you're an absolute jerk all week, but you get some type of relief from your guilt by coming to church on Sunday, looking spiritual, saying a nice word and singing a song. And how come it's so easy? Ever played any one of those parts? Man, I'm here. I'm with you. Why is worship going to church, coming to chapel? For the explicit purpose of ascribing to God the glory due His name. Such a difficult thing. Worship, kiss the hand of God, bow down before Him. See, fundamentally, worship isn't just doing something, watch this, in the name of God. It's not just Christian activity. That does not constitute worship. It's me wanting from my heart to express to God His worth. In my heart, bowing down before Him. And if at this moment, for example, the preacher is preaching on the necessity of worship, in your heart... There should be a sense of, God, that's right. You are worthy of that. Not just, okay, I'm hearing what he's saying as one option. Or, gee whiz, how soon till he's finished. Or, could he throw an illustration in about now? I'd like to come back into the party. So as the word of God is actually being taught, there is in your heart a communication going on with God in response to the truth of word of God. By which you are ascribing to him the glory that is due his name no matter what the topic and what situation. We cannot sit idly and watch. May I suggest something radical about worship? The most important thing about worship is not what it does for you. It's what it does for God. We are so self-seeking in our Christianity. Bless me, God, I'm here. This better be good for who, we think? Me. When we say it was a great time in church, what a message. We're saying, boy, I got a lot out of that. That's fine. But that's not worship. That's a byproduct of worship. Worship is I am here in the assembly of God with the people of God. Not for my benefit, though that will be a byproduct. I am here for the explicit, exclusive purpose of ascribing to God the glory that is due His name. Let that sift through your thinking about a typical church worship worship service or through chapel. What would happen if all of us came together three times a week with that stated purpose? God, this is the time when we all stop together. And ascribe the glory. That's do your name. That's worship. Worship is not what I get out of it. Worship is what I give to God. Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do His name. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Let's be a little more specific. Let's go back to John 4 for a second. And find out a little bit more about a definition for worship. Jesus says that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, Mount Gerizim is the mountain of which she is speaking. It's the place of worship for the Samaritans. Jerusalem, of course, you understand, is the other place where the Jews worship. Mount Gerizim's worship was characterized by great fervor and energy and enthusiasm. They were really into it up there. They got after it. They were fully a part of it. Very, if you will, spirited in their worship. The problem is they had—they were ignorant. Because they wrote off most of the Old Testament, excluding the Pentateuch. So they had basically very little revelation from God to know even how to worship Him. So they're up on Mount Garrison. They're going absolutely nuts with real sincere attempts at worship. But have no biblical truth to guide that and make it acceptable to God. The other side, down in Jerusalem, those folks got all the truth the world can have, right? They got orthodoxy coming out their ears, they got doctrine everywhere, but their hearts are cold as ice. There's no fervor to it. There's no sincerity. It's hypocrisy to them. They know everything they need to know about worship, but don't care. The Samaritans up on Mount Garrison are going nuts, excited about worship, but have no idea how to do it. That's why Jesus says in this passage, you must worship in spirit and truth. Both must be ingredients. What would be our temptation? Are we short on truth around here? We got enough truth to sink a battleship. That's all we got around here. It's truth. Biblical teaching goes everywhere around here. Our great concern would be that we hear so much of it. That it becomes absolutely academic to us and we've lost our spirit. The Muslims today slit their heads with razor blades, then take the flat edge of their sword and beat themselves in the head to stimulate the bleeding. And then run around in a circle with thousands chanting and that is their spirit of their worship. These folks are committed to what they are doing. I would say they're involved. They have absolutely the wrong God and they are going to hell. We have the right God, the right truth, potentially going to heaven and we're like dead fish. Doesn't that up? The two enemies then of worship would be garrison and Jerusalem. Spirit involvement from my inner man. And spirit, I should say, rather than spirit and being just enthusiastic, a fuller part of that would be that it comes from within me. I'm completely into this, if I can use the vernacular of the day. My, I involved from my spirit. It's not just physical activity. And then Jerusalem would be truth. We must have both. So where does spirit and truth meet in worship? if i've got it if i'm working from my inward being and communicating with god and i'm sold out to this process of worship and then i have truth where do these two come together as the word of god is being preached in your inward that's the truth in your inward spirit you must come into interaction with that truth you cannot sit distant from it And you must deal not just with yourself on that truth, but with God in the process of the communication of that truth. So, in other words, you're sitting in a chapel. Your primary involvement should not be with the speaker, it should be with God. The speaker is facilitating the dispensing of truth so that your inward man can communicate and worship God. Let's consider the practice then of worship. If we are to worship in spirit and truth, how more specifically? Well, the Bible says, if you'll read it, and no specific verse, but everywhere you look, worship has always involved sacrifice. True? The very first sacrifice the Bible has is Cain and Abel. That's worship. You move all the way through the Old Testament, sacrifice after sacrifice, come worship God, sacrifice after sacrifice. You come to the life of Jesus. In Ephesians 5, I'll read it to you. 1 and 2, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us. What? An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Worship is sacrifice. And we so undermine this. You know, the priesthood of the believers. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now think, get your Old Testament thinking going here. Priests, right? What did they do all day? They took offerings. That's all they did. They made offerings. That's all they did. All day on, made offerings, made offerings, made offerings. We are a part of the spiritual priesthood of the New Testament. We're instructed to make offerings. Same chapter says, And coming to him as to a living stone, to offer up spiritual sacrifices... Acceptable to God You and I are a part of the priesthood of the believers Like the priesthood of the Old Testament It involves offering sacrifices for worship You're saying I'm not very good at cutting the necks of goats And spilling their blood and doing all the things That's okay Our spiritual priesthood of the New Testament Is to offer up spiritual sacrifices Do you know what those are? I didn't before I studied this Okay, I'm a spiritual priest I'm supposed to offer up sacrifices Like what kind of stuff you're talking about, God? Wouldn't it be interesting to know? There's about five of them. The first one is praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. That's the first spiritual sacrifice in your priesthood. So you want to be the part of a priest? Praise God. That is your spiritual offering. Doesn't sound very hard, does it? Hebrews thirteen sixteen gives two more. Our good deeds are a spiritual offering as well as our giving when you give from your resources. It says this, And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. When you do good, you do your good works. And when you give of your material resources, it's a sacrifice from, for which God is well pleased. Romans 15, 16 highlights a fourth one. Evangelism and edification. Paul says to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Paul saw his ministry of evangelism and then later maturing those people as a spiritual sacrifice to God. He was worshiping God in that very effort. And then, of course, the one that wipes us all out. And the last one here is Romans 12 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So God is saying you're a spiritual priesthood. Like the priests of old, whose entire job was to offer sacrifices of praise and worship, so you too, in the spiritual priesthood of the New Testament, should do the same. What are they? Praise, good deeds, giving of your material resources evangelism edification and lastly your body your body is to be used by God and you offer it to him you say wait a minute man I thought we were just talking about chapel and uh, church you know that worship is not what just happens in chapel and church that's one way we think of it because we're kind of culturized in our Christianity to think of it that way. That's not where it happens. That's one of the locations that it happens. Worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. These five points cover basically all of life. Your praise, your evangelism, your edification, your giving, everything, your body, everything in your life, everywhere you go should be in an attitude of bowing down before God and giving Him glory. Giving Him glory in the way you praise Him. Giving Him glory in the way you use your body as would even relate to the skit that was up here today. Giving God glory with the usage of your money and worshipping him. That is a spiritual offering of worship to Yahweh. When you use your money in a manner which is pleasing to him. It invades our entire life. So we come. We come to chapel. We come to church. And if you're anything like I am, there are times when I come to church or chapel... With all the wrong motives You're hoping it's going to be entertaining You're hoping it's going to be fun It's going to be emotional It's going to be something you've never heard before And just blow your socks off And it's not coming to get any of those things Come to church Come to chapel Come to worship God Come to give From your heart An offering An offering based upon the truth of God That it's being taught as it relates to your life Make commitments to Him Confess your sin to Him Ask him for his strength Involve yourself such that these times in the word of God Are primarily interaction between you and the living God Not you and the guy that's standing affirm Three things, just practically how to develop a worshipful spirit In a setting like this Number one, be yielded to the Holy Spirit Bible says that no one can even know the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God reveal them to him. Bible says no one can say, Lord, Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Obvious point. When you come, be dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit. And say, Holy Spirit, make me worship today. Help me to worship today. I cannot do this apart from you. Number one. So there's a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Number two. Mental toughness. Mental discipline. Our thoughts must be centered on God. That's a tough one. I've planned many a junior high activity in Maine Big Church. Right? Because I lost the message somewhere and I just did my work instead. You know, years ago when I was there. I do that today at times. I lose track. My mind is shut off. I am not centered on God. And I just do whatever I want to do with my mind. And then lastly, the third thing would be to repent and to commit. Repent if there is sin that's being confronted in your life, a time of purging, of purifying, of confessing, and then also a time of commitment where you determine and purpose in your heart to move forward in areas that are being communicated on. And here's the hard part. What's the major hindrance to worship? If the major objective of worship is giving of self, then the major hindrance to worship is self itself. Self-indulgence, selfishness. If if in hearing what biblical worship is, understanding what it's all about, and in looking in your life And you do not see that Maybe two things Maybe once because you've never been taught And you've had no idea what it's all about You just thought you were supposed to go to church And sit there and wait till it was over Because that's what your parents talked about When they got out of church anyway That's sometimes what happens, right? Well, I'm glad that's over And so you got trained the wrong way Now you know what truth is And you can begin to practice that Maybe on the other hand, though There is nothing in you that says I'm going to give to God Because you've never given yourself to God There's nothing for you to repeat. There's nothing for you to recommit. There's nothing for you really to repent of. Because you've never really given yourself to God. You can determine that in large part by the quality of your worship. And if this is not your pattern, if this is not your life, ask yourself why. Maybe it's because you're not saved. Maybe it's because you're not saved. You know, in New York City this summer, we went into one of those big, huge, gothic, godly cathedrals. And it was just absolutely staggering. The roof just went on forever and ever and finally wrapped around. And there was stained glass window and everything looked like it was far too expensive. You know what I'm saying? Those beautifully gorgeous places. And we began to sit down up front. It was just us in there. And we took our guitars out and began to sing and worship God. And I can remember stopping the group because it was in my heart and I I just felt like, you know what, for once, because I knew the church, the church taught taught and and approved homosexuality approved all these other things, absolutely, totally godless church. And here is this absolutely gorgeous facility, right? All which is supposed to do what? Incite true worship. And the people, you could feel it, they come in every day, they get taught the lies of hell, and they walk out, and they've never interacted with God at all, and this gorgeous facility sits there all day long saying, Somebody come, will you? And worship in me for God. I kind of had a heart for the poor building, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like it was crying out. I was built, I was created for worship. Worship in me. So we got in there. And I kind of said that, and I said, Now let's sing this next song, let's make sure that this facility gets used for its intended purpose, and that is to worship God. And man, we sang like big time. It was exciting, because we sensed that we were rectifying a wrong. Your body is far more intricate, I can say that word, and far more advanced than that building will ever hope to be. And your body was designed and created to give worship and praise and glory to God. Are you making a mockery of it because your heart and your mind are unwilling to come and ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name? Let's pray.